crucial to understanding the deep state is understanding the money system. In fact, uh, of all the weapons that the deep state has, you know, public education is crucial, but money is really crucial too. And unfortunately, for over a hundred years now, the monetary system in the United States has been completely under the control of shadowy deep state characters. So I'm going to walk through a little bit about how that works, how they got control of our monetary system, and then finally conclude with some idea. Uh, also talk a little bit about the future where this is all going, and then conclude with a few ideas on how we might work on uh, rectifying this. So, uh, you know, the war over central banking in America really goes back to the beginning of our history. Uh, even some of our founding fathers were involved in this debate. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, who was okay with more centralized government, uh, was an advocate of a central bank, whereas other founding fathers who uh, did not believe in that idea were vehemently, vehemently opposed to a central bank. Well, the central bank advocates got their central bank. It was called the First Bank of the United States. And uh, this really gave the deep state some, some very shadowy characters, a lot of influence in the United States over our monetary system. And this debate went on for a long time. You know, Thomas Jefferson was was very, very opposed to the central bank. Uh, they viewed it as, first of all, unconstitutional, and second of all, uh, a way for the elites to control the American people. So they weren't happy about that. Uh, then we got the second bank of the United States shortly thereafter, and Andrew Jackson really went to war with this institution. I mean, he, he repeatedly emphasized that this was a tool of the elites to enslave the common American. He did not like it. And that was one of his big uh, campaign points was to, to dismantle the second central bank of the United States. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of good arguments. He, he explained, first of all, it wasn't constitutional. It was robbing the American people. It had centralized uh, the power over our money in to a small group of elite people. And so he did everything possible to stop it. And ultimately, he was successful. The charter was not renewed and the Second Bank of the United States disappeared. And we didn't have a central bank in America then for quite a long time. So we had uh, the, you know, the free banking period. There were state banks that were operating and, and a lot of private banks. And there was uh, basically competition in currency. You know, private banks could issue uh, notes based on gold or silver they might have in their vaults. But we didn't have a single central bank. Uh, then in 1907, the proto-deep state of the day, the mega bankers of the day, uh, engineered a crisis in the economy and uh, caused a really significant downturn, caused a panic. And this was used as the pretext to try to stampede the American people into creating a new central bank that would be under their control. So they actually called together a secret meeting in 1910 on an island in Georgia, right off the coast of Georgia, called Jekyll Island. And for a long time, this was totally secret. In fact, these guys went down there with uh, you know fake names. They, they didn't reveal to anybody where they were going. And they all went down there. I've actually been to the island. It's a very, very nice place. But uh, it was used for very sinister purposes. And you can read some of this on the Federal Reserve's website today about what happened there. Uh, you had basically a, a coalition of very, very prominent deep state characters. So you had, uh, for example, Senator Nelson Aldrich, uh, an incredibly influential lawmaker who was very well connected with the deep state families uh, at that time, including the Rockefeller family. Uh, you also had other people like Frank Vanderlip, you know, a, a mega wealthy deep state character. And of course, Paul Warburg, one of the mega bankers uh, who worked to create the Federal Reserve System during this secret meeting. Well, they produced this uh, this plan to create a central bank for the United States. And, uh, you know, people were not enthusiastic about allowing 
the mega bankers who had caused these financial problems to solve these problems. And so eventually they were successful in marketing it as some sort of a way to bring the bankers under control, right? Bring the money power under control. When really it was exactly the opposite, right? Uh, what they were doing was actually handing the power over our monetary system to a private cartel of central banks or of private banks, which became the central bank. And really, it, it is a private cartel. So they, they lied to the American people. They rammed this legislation through the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. Uh, obviously, we needed an income tax. I'll, we'll talk a little bit about how the central bank works and why the, why the income tax was needed to complement this, because basically now they had this tool to siphon money from the American people, and we needed a way to pay back all the debt that uh, we owed to this new central bank. And so we needed an income tax to bring that about. So that same year, they managed to get the 16th Amendment and we got uh, the income tax, the federal income tax. Um, really, the, the first time it was actually constitutional, uh, supposedly, because they passed this 16th Amendment. Uh, not long after it was created, the Federal Reserve helped bring about the Great Depression. Now, even Ben Bernanke, the, the recent chairman of the Federal Reserve, admits that the Federal Reserve contributed to this. Check out, check out this video. The Federal Reserve uh, contributed to the Great Depression in a couple of ways. Um, first of all, uh, the Fed was uh, slow to um, uh, ease monetary policy, to use monetary policy to provide support for the economy. Uh, instead, uh, by keeping monetary policy too tight for too long, uh, the Fed allowed prices actually to fall. There was a period of deflation where prices were falling very sharply, which turned out to be a very negative thing uh, for the economy. Um, so monetary policy was too tight, too long. It was not supportive of the economy, did not keep prices stable uh, the way uh, you know, we are mandated to do today. Uh, the other mistake problem uh, that the Federal Reserve made in the 1930s was that it didn't do enough to protect the stability of our financial system. But really, it, it's much more insidious than that, right? He acts like it was just a mistake and they didn't understand what they were doing. They understood exactly what they were doing. Uh, what they did was they flooded the economy with easy money, easy credit in the 1920s, which led to the roaring 20s. And then they drastically reduced the money supply. They raised interest rates and reduced the money supply, uh, leading to the Great Depression. And so what happened during the Great Depression, engineered by the Federal Reserve? Well, stock market plunged, uh, people lost their homes, people lost their jobs, people lost their businesses, and then the mega bankers who knew in advance what was going to happen came in and started buying up these stocks, buying up these farms, buying up these homes for pennies on the dollar. So it was an enormous transfer of wealth from the poor, from the middle class to the elites of the United States. Now, you might be thinking, well, why didn't the government do anything about this? Well, part of the reason is the government can't do anything about this, right? It's just true. Congress created the Federal Reserve through legislation, but it is not an entity of government. That's really important to understand. It's, again, a private cartel owned by private banks. We'll get into that in a moment. But watch Alan Greenspan here, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve before Ben Bernanke, explaining that no agency of the U.S. government can tell the Federal Reserve what to do. Watch this. What is the uh, proper relationship, what should be the proper relationship between a chairman of the Fed and a president of the United States? Well, first of all, the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, and that means basically that uh, there is no ag other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. So long as that is in place, and there is no evidence that the administration or the Congress or anybody else 
is uh, requesting that we do things other than what we think is the appropriate thing, then what the relationships are uh, don't frankly matter. And so you might be wondering, well, if, if, the, if the government can't tell the Federal Reserve what to do, who does tell the Federal Reserve what to do, right? Certainly not our elected politicians, right? Certainly not our elected officials. Well, the, the simple answer is the Federal Reserve's owners tell the Federal Reserve what to do, right? That's really how it boils down. Uh, and yeah, there's, you know, some of the officials uh, at, at the at the Federal Reserve system are appointed by the president from a list provided by uh, the bankers who own the Federal Reserve, but really that's just window dressing. So the real decision making at the Federal Reserve comes from the private banks that own the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve is divided up into 12 uh, regional banks. You have one in Atlanta, you have one in San Francisco, you have one in Kansas City, you have the most important one uh, in New York City. And so these are the regional Federal Reserve uh, banks, and they are each owned by their member banks, which are, of course, private banks. These are uh, banks owned by private shareholders, private individuals. And uh, these private banks own shares, they own stock in the regional Federal Reserve banks. And this is not a secret. This is not a mystery. You can, in fact, call them today. And they'll, they'll tell you I've done that before. I called the Federal Reserve of Atlanta and asked them about this. Because when I first started learning about this, I was like, that can't possibly be. I called them up and oh, it's true. Uh, they're owned by their region, by their uh, by their member banks. And uh, they earn dividends right from on the stock that they own in these regional Federal Reserve banks. And they uh, they elect the officers of these regional Federal Reserve banks and so on. Uh, and in fact, um, they, they have even admitted to this in court cases. Um, we'll talk about the uh, the economic crisis in 2007. Um, what happened was the Bloomberg, the news agency, tried to sue the Federal Reserve Bank of New York to find out what they were up to. And the Federal Reserve Bank of New York didn't want to comply. Right? They didn't want to comply, first of all, with the uh, Freedom of Information Act request. So then the Bloomberg had to sue. And in their response in the court filing, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York said, well, hey, FOIA, that's for government agencies. We're not a government agency. You can't tell us what to do. We don't have to comply with those government laws. Those are for the government. We're not the government. Right. So um, very, very interesting. So what they do, they they centrally with this these elected or appointed officials elected by the shareholders of the bank, they get together and they they have this committee, the Federal Open Market Committee, and they decide what the central bank ought to be doing and what they want to do with interest rates. And uh, part of this central planning of interest rates is you get these people, they get together and they decide if they want higher or lower interest rates. They set inflation targets and then they try to adjust interest rates to reach those targets. And so the way they manipulate interest rates, I mean, first you have to understand where interest rates would come from in a free market, right? Interest rates in a free market would come from uh, the supply of loanable funds. So, you know, people who have savings in the bank and are willing to, to loan that out to other people versus the demand for loanable funds, people who want to borrow money to invest in their company, to buy a house, to build a new factory, whatever the case may be. So when you get these two forces together, you get market interest rates. Well, the Federal Reserve can manipulate these things. So if they want to drive down interest rates, for example, they may increase the supply of money, the supply of loanable funds by, for example, printing money and using it to buy treasury bonds or by reducing uh, the interest rate that they charge to banks to be able to, to borrow money from their discount window. So they can increase the supply of money, thereby causing prices to rise, thereby causing interest rates to decrease, or they can, like they did before the Great Depression, they can increase interest rates by reducing the supply of money. So if they want to reduce the supply of money, they can sell treasury bonds that they own back into the market. This uh, They take that money that they've just acquired as a result of those sales, and then they destroy that money. So now there's less money in the economy. The supply of loanable funds uh, is reduced, and that causes interest rates to rise. Well, what this does it really over, over time is it redistributes, again, the wealth from poor and middle class Americans 
over to the ultra rich. Now, during the economic crisis, we had the Federal Reserve loaning massive amounts of money that it created out of nothing, uh, trillions and trillions of dollars, right? The, the special inspector general realized that they had created about $27 trillion worth of new money. For perspective, the American GDP at that time was about $7 trillion, And they were loaning it out to their cronies, to these mega banks that owned the Federal Reserve system. So uh, they would take this money, borrowing it at you know almost no interest, and then they would plow that into treasury securities where they would be earning a significantly higher interest rate from the American taxpayer with money that they borrowed from the Federal Reserve at a lower interest rate. It's basically guaranteed profits from the American taxpayer. Uh, they also would uh, you know, do other things with the money. The Federal Reserve created fake LLCs to distribute this money that it was creating by buying up uh, toxic assets from its cronies to help unload this stuff from the balance sheets of the mega banks, which in many cases own the Federal Reserve Banks and, and lead the Federal Reserve Banks. Uh, here's a video of Congressman Alan Grayson talking about some of this from the floor of Congress. And I want to congratulate the gentleman and, in fact, everyone in America, because you now own a hotel chain. Congratulations. It's this one right here. You own the Red Roof Inn. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's funny. I don't remember buying the Red Roof Inn, but the Federal Reserve Bank, in its wisdom, has done it for you. Federal Reserve Bank has seen to it that you have the pleasure of ownership of this delightful chain of hotels that extends from sea to shining sea. You, America, you are now the owners of the Red Roof Inn chain. Congratulations. Let me explain to you how that happened. Deep in the mists of ancient history, going all the way back to 2007, a foreign company decided that they wanted to do a leveraged buyout of the Red Roof in chain. And so they turned to Wall Street, and Wall Street, in its magical ability, came up with the money, half a billion dollars, to do that. And part of that money, $186 million, came from entities that were formed strictly for the purpose of providing money so that somebody could end up controlling the Red Roof in other than the people who originally owned it. These foreigners were able to prevail on Wall Street to come up with the financing to buy the Red Roof Inn. And now at that point, the question was, who was actually going to come up with the money? $186 million. The answer was, Wall Street was going to find some sucker, some fool, that would be willing to take $186 million out of his or her pocket and put it into the pockets of this management company, foreign owners. The problem was an earthquake hit Wall Street in 2008 before they could execute on this deal and hand this liability off to John Q. Public. And this financial hurricane that hit Wall Street prevented them from executing on their plan. They had to find some way to come up with somebody, some sucker, who would take over liability for this $186 million loan secured only by this modest hotel chain of limited profitability, being sucked dry already by its foreign owners. And they looked around, and at this point, Bear Stearns was responsible for this. So Bear Stearns looked and looked and looked, tried to find somebody silly enough, unwise enough, to stick this $186 million liability to. And then Bear Stearns itself went kaput, taken over by J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan moved in with the help of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve arranged that J.P. Morgan could take over Bear Stearns' liabilities in general, 
But there were some liabilities that were so odorous, so awful, that J.P. Morton just wouldn't take them over even though the Federal Reserve was stuck with the liability for the great majority of those assets. And those became the maiden lane assets. And among those assets, the absolute dead loser assets, the assets that nobody in their right mind would want, the assets that were so terrible that J.P. Morton wouldn't take them from Bear Stearns' pocket, from Bear Stearns' dead pocket, even if the Federal Reserve was willing to pay for it, among those assets was the Red Roof Inn. And who ended up with that? The Federal Reserve. That's right, the Federal Reserve Bank. You know, the, that organization that dictates the money supply in this country that has this magical ability to make money out of nothing. They simply make notations on their records, and magically they have more money than they had the day before. The Federal Reserve Bank decided that they would assume responsibility for a $186 million loan to a hotel chain. The Federal Reserve became a sucker of last resort, and in doing so, the Federal Reserve made you, you, America, the sucker of last resort. Wouldn't it be nice to know what happened to the $186 million that they put up? But we don't know, because we don't audit the Federal Reserve. So we can't know. There's no way to know right now. And the Federal Reserve may be, for all we know, letting these other sharks, these other Wall Street sharks, Citibank and the other entity, move in and take over all these hotels, and maybe they're doing nothing to defend the right of the taxpayers to these assets. We don't know. We just don't know, because we don't audit the Federal Reserve. So, America, congratulations. You own a hotel chain. And again, all of this is happening without any oversight at all, right? There, there's been no real audit of the Federal Reserve in American history. Even the watered-down audit that we had wasn't a real proper audit. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders intervened at the last second to neuter that audit. Uh, tremendously uh, manipulative and deceitful, right? Everything gets audited. If you're a taxpayer and you make $20,000 a year, the IRS may audit you, but nobody gets to audit the Federal Reserve, right? Uh, other things that they do to uh, manipulate the American people, to manipulate, to, to loot the American people include uh, manipulating the price of gold. Uh, back in 1998, then Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan even admitted that the Federal Reserve leases out gold in increasing quantities in response to the price going up. The reason they do this is to suppress the price because if gold prices were rising, people would realize that uh, the supply of currency was being increased, inflated by the Federal Reserve, that purchasing power of the dollar was going down. And so they have been manipulating gold prices for a very, very long time. Uh, even back in the 1960s, we have a confidential Federal Reserve document. It's still available from the Federal Reserve of St. Louis's archives that reveals that central banks uh, have been lending gold, leasing gold out into the markets or buying gold to manipulate gold prices. Again, uh, this is how they keep the value of the dollar where they want it to be. Uh, they also manipulate stock prices. Actually, after the economic crisis, they just started directly buying stocks and bonds in the market. I mean, they've been buying government bonds for a long time, but during the economic crisis, they just started buying stocks outright, right? Uh, unprecedented. Uh, they also, again, manipulate the market for money, right? The interest rates in the economy are a crucial indicator for entrepreneurs, for savers, for consumers. And in a free market, interest rates would tell people a lot of useful information. You know, are people saving? Should we invest in long-term projects or short-term projects? 
But when the Federal Reserve manipulates these interest rates, you get all kinds of malinvestment. So maybe the Federal Reserve has artificially suppressed interest rates. A whole bunch of companies and people who otherwise would not have borrowed money at that rate will now borrow that money and will invest it in projects that would not be sustainable uh, based on market fundamentals, the supply of loanable funds and, and what's going on in the economy. Well, you get all this malinvestment. It fuels a, a boom that really should never have happened. You get a boom in housing. You get a boom in real estate stocks, You know, whatever uh, asset class, sometimes all right now i think we're in an everything bubble and then what happens eventually reality sets in interest rates have to rise again and all these projects that were started uh, end up going bust and so all the workers get laid off the debts go bad you know everything has to get liquidated all these resources then were invested into projects that they shouldn't have been invested in and, and it also leads to inflation, right? All this money that the Federal Reserve is creating produces a tremendous amount of inflation. You know, essentially, if the Federal Reserve doubles the supply of currency, then over time, I mean, it doesn't happen immediately because the market actors, economic actors in the market have to figure out what's happening. But over time, that'll cause prices to approximately double, right? Uh, and said another way, that means if you had any savings, if you had any money under your mattress, you just lost half the value of your savings. It was just stolen from you by the Federal Reserve by this cartel of private banks, and you didn't even realize what happened, right? I mean, you could have your money stored away in a vault, and boom, Federal Reserve just stole half of it without even telling you, right? So this is what's happening. And since 1913, when we got the Federal Reserve, the purchasing power of the dollar has decreased by more than 95%. Let that sink in. You know, if your great-great-grandpa had saved $100 thinking that they'd pass that on through the generations, and you just now dug it up out of the backyard, um, that $100 would be worth a fraction of what it was worth when your great-grandpa buried it, right? And yet this is what's happening every day. And there's something even more insidious. This, uh, this I call it a trap, a scam. Basically, the Federal Reserve is the only source for money aside from commercial banks, and we'll address that in a future video. But the Federal Reserve is the only source for base money. And so just hypothetically, to, to do a simple example, let's say the Federal Reserve creates $100, and there's no money in the economy. Now the Federal Reserve creates $100. The government borrows that $100. The, the Federal Reserve buys up a treasury bond. And now this $100 is spent by the government and starts circulating. Well, now the federal government owes the Federal Reserve $100 plus interest but they never created the interest. So what happens when the bill comes due? What happens when the treasury bond matures and you have to send that money over to the Federal Reserve Bank? Well, the government has to tax that money out of the economy, take it from the American people, and then send it over to the Federal Reserve. But guess what? That treasury bill has interest on it too. So you know the $100 is owed, but then the interest saves $5 or $10. Well, where are you gonna get that money? Well, there's only one source of money. We have to go back to the Federal Reserve and ask them to create more money so that we can now pay off that interest. So now we're in deeper debt. And what happens? This is a perpetual cycle. It is an unpayable debt. It can never be paid. If all the debt were to be paid back, the economy would get sucked into a black hole. There would be no more money. The entire civilized world would collapse immediately, right? Uh, and so that's what we're dealing with. And, and Ronald Reagan put together the Grace Commission. They found out that 100% of what's collected through the income tax is absorbed solely by interest on the federal debt. All individual income tax revenues are gone before one nickel is spent on the services taxpayers expect from government. Uh, now we are going to do a global monetary system. They're trying to build a global Federal Reserve. We'll talk about that in a future video. But we have got to get a proper understanding of the Federal Reserve if we hope to 
uh, rein in the deep state. And so if you want more, there's a lot of great books out there on this topic. I would start with Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin, a book that was uh, financed by the John Birch Society and that really has been instrumental in building awareness of these problems for the American people. Uh, Ron Paul has also got a great book, End the Fed. Uh, he was one of the leaders in the movement to audit the Federal Reserve and eventually end the Federal Reserve. We've got to do that at some point. But uh, we'll leave it here for today, folks. Uh, I'm Alex Newman. This is Behind the Deep State. Thank you for watching. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, all those other good things. And uh, looking forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again and God bless.